Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Today we'll pick up with Psalm 23, verse 5 and verse 6. And if you miss those previous messages on Psalm chapter 23, then you can catch those on our website at thewaycitychurch.org or also on our Facebook page, The Way City Church, or our YouTube page, uh, The Way City Church. You can find those messages right on there. So let's uh, jump back into this beautiful Psalm. Again, Psalm chapter 23, we've been away from it for a while, but we're going to jump right back into that today. And God willing, we will conclude Psalm 23 today. So this is the number one uh, most important psalm, um, as I probably mentioned to you before, it is the number one uh, most popular psalm, excuse me, not most important, but most popular psalm. Everyone knows this psalm, uh, especially in the Western world, everyone has encountered this psalm somehow. So this is the number one most popular psalm, followed by Psalm 91 as number two, and then usually most people say Psalm uh, 27 as number three, but this is by far uh, undoubtedly the number one most popular psalm that we have, Psalm 23 verses one through Six. So let me jump in right now and read that to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is Psalm 23. You know it. You've heard of it. This is the most popular psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. So this is Psalm 23. And just a reminder, in Psalm 22, we meet the Savior. In Psalm 23, we meet the Shepherd. And in Psalm 24, we meet the Sovereign King. Psalm 22, we meet the Savior. Psalm 23, the Shepherd. And Psalm 24, the Sovereign King. And you must first know Him as Savior before you can ever know Him as Shepherd. And if you really don't know him as savior, you will never be able to truly trust him as shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. The psalm does not begin with the Lord is your shepherd because I don't know if he's your shepherd. I don't know if he's yours. I can only speak for myself. I know that he's my shepherd, but I don't know if he's your shepherd. Only you can answer that question for yourself. Is he your shepherd this morning? Is he your shepherd today? 
David knew this to be true of himself. David, the shepherd king, uh, also knew that he himself was shepherded. And he was shepherded by the shepherd of shepherds, by the great shepherd. And he knew that to be true. And it's because he is your shepherd, it is because he is my shepherd that you can rest assured in the other areas of this passage today. So just a quick recap. Uh, when, when Jesus is my shepherd, he feeds me. When Jesus is my shepherd, he leads me. When Jesus is my shepherd, he restores me. When Jesus is my shepherd, he protects me. When Jesus is my shepherd, he comforts me. When he's my shepherd, he anoints me. And when he is my shepherd, he establishes me. This is what he does for me. And because of what he's done for me, I shall not live in want. I shall not fear. And I shall gladly dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. In verse three, he restores my soul as a sheep. Sometimes my soul will get weary and the shepherd and only the shepherd can restore the weary soul. That's good news. And he does it willingly and without limit. As often as you are weary is as often as he will restore you without limit. As often as you are weary is as often as he will restore you. Verse four, the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death presents an opportunity for you to be afraid. It presents a very reasonable and valid opportunity for you to be afraid. However, I will not fear. Why? For you are by my side. For you are with me. And today we pick up in verse five and verse six. And verse 5 and verse 6 reveal to us in Psalm 23 that the Lord is not only our shepherd, but he's also our host. Again, verse 5 and verse 6, where we pick up today, reveals to us that the Lord in this Psalm, Psalm 23, he's not only our shepherd, but he's actually also our host. David begins Psalm 1 speaking about the Lord. In verses 1 through 3, David is speaking about the Lord in, in third person. And then in verse 4 and 5, there is a shift and David is now speaking to the Lord. He goes from speaking about the Lord in verses 1 through 3 to speaking to the Lord in verses 4 and 5. And then finally in verse 6, we hear David's confession of faith. David is confident and he testifies of his assurance of being safe in the shepherd's arms for all the days of his life. Let's dive right back into the psalm and let's pray and then continue in verses 5 and verse 6. Father, we thank you for the privilege for us to be able to uh, jump into your word to open the scriptures today and father as we've been away from psalm 23 for several weeks lord as we pick back up in psalm 23 today and as we close in psalm 23 i pray lord that you would bless our time together that you would anoint our time together we thank you that there is no one more qualified uh, to speak from a shepherd's perspective um, from this perspective as David was. He was a shepherd. He was a mighty 
shepherd. He was a shepherd who you called, a shepherd who you used. And Father, may we learn lessons from David, the shepherd king, who you both called and anointed as a shepherd and as a king. So Father, we thank you for the wisdom. We thank you for the understanding. We thank you for the revelation, Lord, that comes through um, through the inspired word and through David as a king. We thank you for the writings that we have. And Lord, we pray that you would open our ears to hear what your spirit is saying and open our eyes to be able to see what you reveal to show us today. I thank you so much for the TWCC family. Thank you for the Way City Church in this season. Thank you for the opportunities for us to be able to gather in this way. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revelation. We thank you for understanding. We thank you for the scriptures. We bless you, Lord. We magnify you. And we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. So Psalm 23, verse 5 and 6. Let's take a look. At the text here, Psalm 23, verse 5 and verse 6. Open your Bibles. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Praise God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. In verse 5 and verse 6 right here is where we see a shift in the metaphors. Verse 1. 1 through 4, again, we see the shepherd, but now in verse 5 and verse 6, we see the shift in the metaphors. The, the shepherd imagery has served its purpose to be replaced by one of greater intimacy now. We've gone from sheep and shepherd language to a greater intimacy of friend and host. We have gone from surviving the threat in verse 4 to triumph and blessing and prosperity in verse 5 and verse 6. We've gone from the field, verses 1 through 3, to the valley, verse 4, to the house in verse 5 and verse 6. Again, we've gone from the field to the valley to the house. From the green fields to the dark valley to the open house or the full house is the transition of this psalm. And by the way, the, the house of the Lord in David's day was more like a royal tent. Verse 5, let's look at that again more specifically. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The shift has taken place. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. In verse 5 now, he is my host. He is now my host and I am his guest. He is my host and I am his friend. I am his guest and he has made provisions for me. 
Archaeological, artistic, and textual evidence indicates that, that tables were only common in the homes of the wealthy. So David is now, he's, he's no longer in the field, but he's now in the tent and he's surrounded by wealth. He's no longer in the field, but now he's in the house or he's in the tent and he is surrounded by great wealth. My cup runs over, the passage says here, my cup being filled to the brim and then to overflowing is a symbol of both generosity and prosperity. And it is in this place of abundant provision where David says he will dwell all the days of his life. It's in this place of generosity and prosperity where David says, I will dwell here in the house of the Lord forever and ever all the days of my life. You anoint my head with oil. You anoint my head with oil. To rub a guest's head with olive oil was part of the prescribed etiquette followed by a solicitor's host as he welcomed his guests. Hospitality in the Middle East was extravagant and still is in certain parts of the Middle East. I've even heard of a man who would give his life for the protection and the safety and the honor of his guests. So the uh, protocol that they would go through to protect their guests was first, they would give you the common kiss. In in ancient times, there was a very specific protocol in receiving guests. And first would be the common kiss, the kiss on three sides here, and then here, and then back to here again. Secondly, the servant would remove your sandals and he would wash your feet. Then they would place oil on your head and on your face. And if it was scented oil, then or fragrant oil then it was a a very special honor and you were really 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 spoiled and the oil would refresh you from your journey and from the scorching sun of the middle east then they would proceed to pour you a glass of wine they would set a rug by your feet and then they would prepare you a great meal so these are all the things that they would do in the Middle East in ancient times, these are the things that they would do when they would welcome their guests. First, they would give you the common kiss. Then they would remove your sandals from your feet and wash your feet. Then they'll place the oil on your head and on your face. And then they would uh, proceed to pour you a glass of wine, set a rug by your feet, and then prepare you a great meal. So one point from verse five here is that you are an honored guest. You are an honored guest, you are an honored friend and guest at the house of the Lord and there is extravagant provision for you. The Lord loves and honors and serves you and that's, that's amazing to me. Just think about that for a moment. The Lord loves, right? We know that the Lord loves us. The Lord loves you but he also, he honors you and he and he serves you. And it's a privilege for us to be in the house of the Lord and to fellowship with him. Absolutely, we, we know that. But when we see the way that the Lord is actually treating you as his guest and treating you as his friend, where the Lord is anointing you with oil and he's honoring you 
and he's excited to have you in his presence, that's, that's too much for me to consider. That the Lord would actually honor me, that he would actually wash my feet, that he would actually anoint my head. It's, it's too wonderful for me uh, to think that the Lord would be that excited about me in his presence, that he would do these things to honor me. We understand honoring him. But for him to honor us in this, in this great way is, um, is too much for me to understand. So this, this custom that we just spoke of, it was neglected by the Pharisee Simon. When, when Jesus came to his home in Luke chapter 7 and verse 46, this custom was neglected by him and Jesus calls him out because of it. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 46. Let's go ahead and read that real quick. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. This is Simon. He's invited Jesus to his home. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears. Wow. And wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke of him saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, go ahead, say it. Verse 41, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time that I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Wow. That's amazing. And, and Jesus is calling out Simon here as the 
custom was and he's saying, Simon, you didn't welcome me, you didn't honor me, but this woman, she did. Simon saw himself as a holy man and as a righteous man and he saw this woman as a sinner. And Jesus said, hey, this, this woman who, who you call a sinner, um, she has been forgiven much and she loves me much. And to be honest with you, Simon, she loves me more than you do, for she has honored me with her life. She's not only washed my feet with water, but she's washed my feet with her tears. She's wiped my feet, not with her hands or with a cloth, but she's done it with her hair. She's not only anointed my head and my face with oil, but she's done this with fragrant oil, with costly, expensive perfume and fragrant oil. And she hasn't only anointed my head, but she's anointed my feet. Simon, this is how grateful she is for me. And this is how much she honors me. I came into your home and you did none of the above, but you treated me like an uncommon guest, Simon. One commentary said that the pouring of olive oil on the guest's head, connoting the wealth, generosity and care of the host to promote the renewal, joy and healing of his weary and wounded guest. In a climate where dry skin was a problem, especially for travelers, anointing with oil was a refreshment. Psalm 23 and verse 5, which at a literal level, however, refers to healing oil applied to an injured sheep in the sheepfold at the end of the day. And with that mention of sheep from that commentary, I want to give you one last shepherd sheep analogy. And these are the words from an actual shepherd that I want to read to you. Sheep are especially troubled by the nose fly, okay? Sheep are especially troubled by the nose fly or the nasal fly, as sometimes many would call it. These little flies buzz about the sheep's head, attempting to deposit their eggs on the damp mucous membranes of the sheep's nose. If they are successful, the eggs will hatch in a few days to form small, slender, worm-like larvae. They work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head. They burrow in the flesh and there set up an intense irritation accompanied by severe inflammation. For relief from this agonizing annoyance, sheep will deliberately beat their heads against trees, rocks, posts, or brush. They will rub them in the soil and thrash around against woody growth. In extreme cases of intense infestation, a sheep may even kill itself in a frenzied endeavor to gain relief from the aggravation. Often advanced stages of infection from these flies will lead to blindness. And because of all this, then the nose flies hover around the flock and some of the sheep become frantic with fear and panic in their attempt to escape their tormentors. I love this part. 
only the strictest attention to the behavior of the sheep by the shepherd can forestall the difficulties of what they call fly time. At the very sign of flies among the flock, he, the shepherd, will apply an antidote to their heads. I always prefer to use a homemade remedy composed of linseed oil, sulfur and tar, which was smeared over the sheep's nose and head as a protection against nose flies. What an incredible transformation this would make among the sheep. Once the oil had been applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. Once the oil had been applied to the sheep's head, there was an immediate change in behavior. Gone was the aggravation. Gone was the frenzy. Gone the irritability and the restlessness. Instead, the sheep would start to feed quietly again, then soon lie down in peaceful contentment. Wow. Love that. Let me ask you, what are the pests and the parasites in your life that come to kill and to steal and to destroy your peace and your joy and your happiness? It's only the anointing of the Lord that can keep your mind in perfect peace. What are the parasites and the pests? What are even, what are the small things? that seem to irritate you in life and steal your peace? What are those small things? And again, it's only the anointing of the Lord that can keep you in perfect peace. These sheep, the, the nasal fly, flies up their nose and literally gets inside of their heads literally gets inside of their heads and the sheep would literally beat their heads and beat themselves to, to death sometimes to escape the irritation. And what the shepherd would do is he would apply oil to the sheep's face and to the sheep's head. He would douse the, the sheep in oil and the oil would create a barrier over the sheep where the nasal flies would not be able to, to penetrate the, the nostrils of the sheep and the sheep would have perfect peace. And the sheep would be soothed and the frenzy would become calm. And it is the anointing of the Lord. It is the anointing of the Spirit of God that comes to bring you peace. One of the fruits of the Spirit is that peace, love, joy, and peace, the peace of the Lord. And without that peace, my friend, you are irritable, you are irate, you are frenzied, and the smallest things in life will work you up. And some of you, many of you know exactly what I'm talking about because there are small things in life that work you up. I just heard a, a pastor friend of mine that was that was sharing with me just the other day and he spoke about he came home um, from Home Depot or somewhere and he had paint 
and he was coming home to do a project and he and he spilled the paint and he said that when he spilled the paint he spilled it on his carpet and then immediately he began to to snap um, at his wife and his kids and um, and his neighbors they they saw him uh, do this and he had to repent and he said that he was very embarrassed by this and he was like man just the spilling of 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 paint uh, on my on my carpet caused me to snap at my family and even my neighbors they they witnessed that and it was just the the small things the the pests and the flies that can sometimes steal our peace so again it's only the anointing of the lord and it's the peace of the Lord and it's the anointing of the Spirit that can keep us within that perfect peace. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This does not mean I will bring you at peace with all of your enemies. It doesn't mean I'm gonna prepare a table before you and again, you will be at peace with all of your enemies that you guys are going, to be, are going to be one. That's not what it means. It means more of a, I will exalt you in the presence of your enemies. Uh, there won't necessarily be peace between you, but I will exalt you in the presence of your enemies. They will look and they will see my favor upon you. They will see how I have blessed you and they will look and they will see. And because you're in the presence of me, because you're in the presence of God, the great host, you're safe and you're protected and they will only be able to see with their eyes the, the protection and the blessing of the Lord upon your life. And what they meant for evil, I will turn around for good and they will see it. They will see how I have blessed you for I will bring them to the table of abundance where I bless you and they won't partake of it, but they will see what the Lord has done for you. God prepared a, a, a table for Joseph you might say in the presence of his enemies, in the presence of his brothers, and they witnessed the extravagant blessings of the Lord, how God had exalted him in all of the land. And in that specific case, we also see that there was peace and there was restoration in that case, but they saw the uh, exhortation um, of Joseph in the land by God. Verse six. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Mercy here is actually uh, translated as steadfast love. Again, mercy right here is actually translated as steadfast love. Surely, I love the word surely. David has confidence here because of the track record of the Lord. David has confidence because of the track record of the Lord. Goodness and mercy followed me in the field. Goodness and mercy followed me in the valley of the shadow of death. Goodness and mercy followed me in the house when I was at your table. So surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. For goodness and mercy followed me in the field among the green pastures. Goodness and mercy followed me as I traveled in the valley of the shadow of death. And goodness and mercy followed me at the table of 
abundant. So I know that surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. David is saying here, you've taken care of me in the past, so surely you will take care of me in the future. First Samuel 17 and verse 37 uh, the God who has delivered me, David said, the God who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will also. The God who has delivered me from the paw of the lion in the past, from the paw of the bear in the past, he will also deliver me in the future. What confidence. He will also deliver me from this uncircumcised Philistine. He will undoubtedly deliver me. This was the confidence that David approached Goliath with, and that confidence came from God's track record in the past. This verse, verse 6, is a declaration of faith. And listen, I mean, I, I love David's optimism here. And uh, yeah, I believe that it's even, it's even more than optimism. This is overflowing from the heart. This, is, this, this wells deep within David and David confesses and he declares surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life this is more than optimism but this dwells and this comes from a deep place of the heart and out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks so then who wants to correct David's theology this morning, who wants to correct his theology? Uh, David has chosen to believe and declare the promises of God. I want you to hear me. David has chosen to believe and declare the promises of God that he both has heard and experienced within his own life. And there are so many Christians that love and, and search for the, the woe is me people and tragedies of the Bible and they find um, these uh, verses, they, they, they find these confessions uh, of faith, they, they're intimidated by them and they love these woe is me people and these woe is me tragedies of the Bible and they find these, they search these out and they make them their confession of woe. For it somehow makes them feel more humble than the rest when they can speak and, and confess of their sorrows in the Lord. And they despise folks like David. They would never say that they despise David, right? But they despise folks that's like David, that would dare to, that would have the audacity to make such a confession like, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. They think, how, how dare you? How, how dare you, David? How, how dare you? Who, who do you think that you are to make such a confession? Who are you? And David's like, man, I'm just a man. I'm just a, a, a shepherd boy. I'm just a man who has intimate relationship with my shepherd. That's all that I am. And I would say to you, I'd say, man, if David could have this kind of confidence as an Old Testament believer. How much more should we have uh, a greater confidence as New Testament believers in the promises of God? Don't be afraid of the promises of God. Don't be afraid to confess things like David confessed. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. 
And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but, but what about the other things? What, well, that's not David's confession right now. Let's stick with the text. And, and this is David's confession. And let's, and let's stay with David's confession. And this is a good confession. And this is a positive confession. And David knew this to be true. And David had enemies. He's not blind to the fact that he had enemies. No, no, he knew that he had enemies. David had wars and battles. But he knew that more than my enemies and more than my troubles and more than, more than all these other things, surely mercy, surely goodness will follow me all the days of my life. And that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm not going to focus on my, on my enemies because the Lord will even prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So I'm gonna focus on the goodness and the mercy of the Lord, and this will be my confession. Whatever you choose to confess, that's on you, but my confession will be surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord with his abundant provision forever and ever. That is David's confession in Psalm chapter 23 and verse Six. David is confident in God's track record. Psalm 37 and verse 25, David said, I have been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's children, nor God's descendants begging bread. He said, listen, my entire life I've been young and now I'm old and I have never seen the righteous. I've never seen God's children begging bread. I've never seen it, for God is faithful. And David, he promotes the faithfulness of the Lord. And as I conclude here today, I want to remind you of that, of God's faithfulness. God is faithful. I want to remind you that He is faithful, that you can trust in Him, that He is your provider that he is El Shaddai, he's the God who's more than enough, and that you can, you can partake of his promises. Um, you, can, you can confess the promises of God. It's okay. You can confess the promises of God. And I want to ask you today as I conclude, do you just know this psalm? Do you just know this psalm or do you know the shepherd? of this psalm? Do you just know this psalm or do you just know the shepherd? Do you just know this psalm or do you know the shepherd of this psalm? Many know this psalm without actually knowing the shepherd and the host that this psalm speaks of. Many know this psalm. Many can even quote this psalm, but they do not know the shepherd and the host that this psalm speaks of Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all a sheep will die without a shepherd. Understand that a sheep will die without a shepherd and cannot live without a shepherd. Sheep require more meticulous care and attention than any other form of livestock. 
a sheep will die without a shepherd and you will die without Christ. A sheep will die without a shepherd and you will die without Christ. We need Jesus Christ in order to overcome death. No one overcomes death without putting their trust in Him, in Christ alone. And it's only because He overcame death that those who believe and put their trust in Him will also be able to overcome death. And God is only looking for one thing applied to our lives at death, and it is this, it is the blood of Jesus. For all who have the blood of Jesus applied to their life will be saved from the sting and the destruction of death. Just like the, the blood of the Passover lamb was to be applied by God's command in the land of Israel before the final plague. When the spirit of death passed over the land, every home that did not have the blood applied lost their firstborn. Every home that didn't have the blood applied to their doorpost, they lost their firstborn. And every home that applied the blood of the lamb was safe and protected and were delivered from death. And this was a simple command. And you didn't get to pick and choose your own safety measures back in Israel during that time. You didn't get to pick and choose your own safety measures you either believed the command or you did not. You either believed it or you didn't. And if you did not believe the command, then you either died yourself or you witnessed death. And you became a believer later on, but it was too late. There are no unbelievers in hell. Let me say exactly what I mean there. Let me be clear, their unbelief in Jesus sent them there, right? Their unbelief in Jesus Christ sent them to hell. But now that they are there, they believe. Now that they are there, they believe, but now it's too late. Everyone who didn't believe God's command in the land of Israel to apply the blood of the lamb to their doorposts, they died. They, they lost their firstborn or they witnessed death. Everyone who didn't believe, but after they witnessed death, they became believers in God's word, but it was too late. Death had already passed over. In the same way for unbelievers, there are no unbelievers, know everyone in hell today, they believe. It was their unbelief that sent them to hell, but now they believe. They believe now that God's word was true, but now it's too late for them. For today is the day of salvation and the New Testament command for you today is to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That is the New Testament command for you today. Do you believe it or not? If you believe it, call upon him. And if you don't, one day you will believe it. I promise you, one day you will believe it. So the New Testament command for you today is to call upon the name of 
the Lord. The Bible says every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee shall bow on earth, every knee shall bow in the heavens, every knee shall bow underneath the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee and every tongue will confess. You can confess now or you can confess later. If you confess now, then you will be saved. If you confess later, then you will die and perish in your sin and will suffer for all eternity. This is the truth and I say it out of love for you. So here is the command for you today from God's word, Romans chapter 10, verse nine and 10. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Listen to me, pay close attention to me. If you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's the command, that's the New Testament command for you to believe today, it's simple. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Call upon him right now. In Jesus' name, Father, we bless you. We thank you for today. We thank you for Psalm chapter 23. We thank you for the closing of this Psalm. And Father, we thank you for the power of this Psalm. We thank you, Lord, for verse five and six. We thank you for the confidence that David had in you. We thank you, Lord God Almighty, that you are a host. You are a shepherd, but you also are our host. And you bless us, Lord, and you take care of us and you provide for us and you even honor us, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that, that because of David's walking with you, David knew verse six to be true of you. He said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He was confident in that. Father, may we be confident in that same truth, in that same promise that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your spirit. And Father, I pray that we would take great joy and great comfort and great confidence in your word this morning. We love it and we embrace it. And Father, I thank you for those who, who will call upon you today, those who have already called upon you, those who are calling upon you right now. Father, I thank you for saving them right where they are, right in their home, wherever they are right now. Thank you for saving them today because they believe this word, because they believe this command for we all like sheep have gone astray. But we thank you that you are, you are the great shepherd and you came to die and to lead your sheep. So Father, I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for those who have made you their shepherd today. Those who have made you their shepherd, those who have come under your, your shepherding today, those who see you as shepherd and see themselves as sheep. Father, I thank you for them. And I thank you that all of heaven rejoices for one sinner that turns and repents and comes to you. We bless you, Lord, we magnify you and we glorify you. For Psalm 23, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.